Good morning. It's great to see all of you. Uh, I have been out for several Sundays. Uh, some of it was planned vacation, some of it was sickness, but it is good to be back with you. And special word of welcome to everybody online, everybody at our campuses. Um, I want to show you a picture of a house and ask, would you like to live in this house? I don't get any takers because it's boarded up. This is known as the Burris House. It's in Cleveland, uh, Mississippi. Um, the Burris family built this house. It was finished in 1861, right at the dawn of the Civil War. Um, the Burris House um, would house, during the Civil War, both Union and Confederate soldiers who were wounded and would be nursed in this home. Uh, then the Burris family lived there after the war until about, until about uh, 1916, uh, when Mr. Burroughs moved to town to be cared for by his daughter, the, fa the family then rented the house out to different people. And uh, renters don't usually take care of houses nearly as well as owners. And the house began to fall into disrepair. And so the Burroughs family, not wanting to see the house fall in on itself, gave the house to the Bolivar County Historical Society, who started to try to raise money to restore the house and after failing at that, they gave the house back to the Burris family, where <laughs> you get the feeling this is a hot potato that nobody wants, where it was found in this condition, boarded up, holes in the floor, no wiring, no plumbing, no electricity. What do you do with a house like this? Burn it down? Tear it down? Let it just fall in on itself? I know some of you look at a picture of this house and you begin to think, hey, that house resembles my life. I have windows boarded up because I don't want anyone to see inside of my house and see the wreckage. And some of you feel like there are holes in the floor of your life where all kinds of things can get in, negative messages, addictions, sins. Some of you look at that house and you're thinking, yeah, that's me, <laughs> no power. And no way to carry away all the waste, all the stuff, the guilt that I feel. I, I have a feeling some of you actually look at a house like this and you think, hey, I, I think that reminds me of the church in North America today. It's just not what it used to be. Something's wrong, something's missing. Some of you may even look at that house and say, hey, that reminds me of our country. Things seem to be kind of falling in. Now, today we're gonna to finish up a series we have entitled Possibility. It's based on this simple truth that God's possibilities for you are greater than people's expectations of you. God has possibilities for you. And we base this on Ephesians chapter three, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. These verses tell us that God wants to do more in our lives than we can imagine. And that God has possibilities for us that we do not even see. Now, I believe God wants more for you than you want for yourself. I believe God has a purpose for you that's greater than what you can imagine. This is good news. Now, we've been looking at the last chapters in the book of Isaiah. And so if you have a Bible, turn to Isaiah 61. Uh, Isaiah is delivering a message to people who are in exile in Babylon. 
their fathers and mothers had been taken, ripped from their homeland, brought to Babylon. These people would most likely have been born in Babylon. They grew up hearing stories about Jerusalem, how wonderful it was, and how now it was a wreck. But these people now have made homes for themselves in Babylon. They have businesses. They have a life in Babylon. And Isaiah comes to tell them that God has possibilities for them. But the possibilities are not in Babylon. They are to go back to Jerusalem. God has something better for them in the land of ruins than in the land of the familiar. And so in in chapter 61, we're going to walk through this verse by verse, almost phrase by phrase, through the first four verses. And I want you to remember that the prophet is speaking about himself. He's also giving a prophecy for someone who is to come. And he is also telling of a mission that will be given to a group of people. So let's hear the word of God. Starting out in verse one, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. What is the prophet saying? He is saying, look, I have a message and I have a mission and I didn't make it up. God gave me this mission. I have an anointing. Now today, you will hear sometimes people in church, church people say, uh, I've got an anointing. And that freaks some people out. It's like, well, what does that mean? Well, an anointing simply means God set you apart for a mission, for a purpose. One of the things we believe at Alice Drive is that God made everybody for a reason. Everybody has a purpose. No one's life is accidental. God has something he wants to do in you and through you. And that's good news. Now, here is what the prophet says is his message and mission. First of all, to proclaim good news to the poor. This is not a message of bad news. This is not a message of judgment. A better translation of this would be, this is joyful news. None of you really have ever been poor. I know you think you have. To be poor is to be without possibility. It is to have no options. Very few of us have ever been there. So what would be good news if you were a person who had no possibilities? If you were a person who had no options? What do you think good news would be? I I think it would probably be, hey, you've got some possibilities. Hey, there is a different path for you. You don't see that you have any options, but there are options for you. There are possibilities for you. There is something that needs to happen through you and God is going to do it. And then listen to the next phrase. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. So the the prophet is not just delivering a message. He's going to actively engage in ministry. He's actually going to find the broken people, bind them up, put a splint on what is broken. Now, Now, who are broken people? Anybody here broken? Well, the answer is yes. Yes, you are. You are all broken. You're all broken by sin. And that's something we don't really like to talk about a whole lot, but simply what it means is this. Every one of us has messed up our lives in some way, and many of us walk with a limp. So let's just check. How many of you have ever messed up your life? Okay, you're broken. Can you just affirm that, turn to a person next to you, even if you don't know them, and just delight in telling them, hey, you're broken. 
yeah, there's one little boy who's just pointing at his mama, you're broken. <laughs> That's what Pastor Clay said. Hey, but there's good news, right? God wants the broken people of the world to find out that there can be healing in him. Now, how does that healing happen? It happens through the transforming power of God at work in a person's soul. And it happens when the church is actually the church, when we are at our best, when we're not throwing rocks at each other, but we are saying, hey, you're walking with a broken leg. Let me help you get a cast. And the prophet says, I have come to proclaim freedom for the captives. Remember, these people, yes, they have their own homes, they have their own businesses, but they're still captives. They're in exile. They couldn't participate in government. There were laws restricting their movements. There was an armed army that patrolled the streets to enforce oppressive laws against them. Today, we would call that apartheid. And guess what? The good news is, is that these captives are going to be free. We once brought a load of heifers from the ranch in Florida up here. I was going to fatten them up. Now, these were crossbred Brahma heifers, which means nothing to you, but to say that they were high strung would be mild. Wisely, we put them in the pen. We let them have some hay and we let them have some feed and sort of gentle them down. But the day came when it's like, they can't stay in the pen. We've got to set them free. And so I went out and I opened the gate and I did not have to say to any of those heifers, come, freedom awaits. No, as soon as they saw that open gate, they took off and they tore through two fences and were last seen headed north. You don't have to tell captives to go free. All you have to do is tell them the gate is open and they want to be free. Anybody here feel captive by a family situation? Anybody here feel captive by an addiction? Anybody here feel captive by a repeated pattern of sin? Maybe it's yours, maybe it belongs to someone else. I've got good news for you. God says the gate is open. And the prophet goes on to say, release from darkness for the prisoners. What, 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 does, that, what does that mean? What, you think about jail, prison. You may be thinking about the Sumter County Jail. And if you ever go out to the Sumter County Jail, I hope it's to visit someone. But you may see that there are tall fences with razor wire around it. And there is the building, and you can tell it's a high security building, the windows don't open. But you also can probably tell the building's air conditioning. Yes, it's, it's not a good place to be. Let me tell you about what prisons were like in the time of the ancient Near East. They were literally holes in the ground. They would dig large holes, sometimes a series of them. They would put people in the holes they would form a wooden covering, put it over the top of the hole, put a rock on top of the wooden covering. Occasionally, they'd move the rock, open up the wooden door. They would drop some food in there, maybe some water. Sometimes they forgot to do that. Where were the facilities in the hole? Do you hear what the prophet is saying? 
Yeah, I have come to move the rock and to open up the door and to extend a hand down into that hole and to take hold of the prisoners and lift them out and say, you don't have to stay down in the hole anymore. Some of you have been put in a hole by somebody. Somebody has told you that you're worthless. Somebody has told you you won't measure up. Somebody has told you or implied to you that you're not worthy. I've got good news for you. There is a hand reaching into that darkness ready to pull you up and say, you don't have to stay in that hole. And then listen to verse two, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God. Now, listen to this, the year of the Lord's favor, that is God's grace, that is living under God's rule. That sounds pretty good. And you hear that phrase, the day of vengeance, it makes you a little scared. Ooh, I don't think I like that. No, 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 no. The day of God's vengeance is when he sets everything that's wrong in this world right. That's the day all the wars stop. That's the day when there's no more rape. That's the day when there's no more abuse, no more people with power taking advantage of people with no power. That's the day when all of the corruption goes away. That's the day when God makes everything right. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to look forward to that day. And then listen to this, starting at the end of verse two, going through verse three, to comfort all who mourn, and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. You realize there's more said here about those who mourn than even setting free those in jail, or setting free the captives providing power to the poor. Why? Because so many people mourn. And not just mourning because someone they love has died. People mourn because sometimes you wake up and the world's not the way you want it to be. Your life isn't what you want it to be. Sometimes you mourn because you just feel depressed. Sometimes you mourn because because you don't feel like you can get ahead or you feel like somebody is against you. There are lots of times when people mourn And the prophet says, I've come to comfort you. Now let me make sure you understand what it means to comfort someone who mourns. Job is an example of this. Job's friends were a comfort to him when they said nothing. Sometimes somebody's gonna die and you're gonna go and you're gonna say, I don't know what to say, so don't say anything. Job was not comforted by the words of his friends because you know what his friends started to do? They started to try to correct his theology. When people mourn, they are not open to having their theology corrected. And by the way, the friend's theology was wrong. Comfort those who mourn. So what does this look like? It's a beautiful picture. There's people who are grieving what once was. They remember or they heard the stories about the Mount of Zion. See, I think people right now are grieving a world that's not the way it's supposed to be. Some of you grieve the fact that our country isn't what it once was. Or you grieve the fact that the church isn't the way that it once was. Or you grieve that you're not gonna have the life your parents have had. Or you grieve that things aren't working out quite the way you wanted them to work out in life. You're grieving it. And the good news is that God is going to bestow on you a crown 
crown of beauty. Now, now don't think about a Miss America crown, okay? That's, 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 this is not miscongeniality. Think, think, think about a turban that's given to a guest of honor. Instead of having ashes of mourning on your head, it's gonna be a sign that God sees you, that God knows you, that God recognizes what you're going through. He is aware, he notices you. And then, and then you're going to be given an, the oil of joy. And that sounds so strange to us, but remember Jesus spoke about this when he rebuked Simon the Pharisee. He said, Simon, I came to your house. You didn't even give me a kiss and greeting and you didn't provide any oil for my head. See, when people traveled in those days, what got dirty? Anybody ever had nasty hair? Dirty hair, just hadn't been washed in a while? Anybody ever seen somebody with a stringy hair that just, oh, it's just awful, I hadn't had that problem in a while, but anybody ever seen that? Well, in the ancient Near East, when you came into someone's house, they took oil and they, they put it on your head and it was a sign that you were welcome, but it did more than that. It made all those flyaway hairs come into place. It also killed all the bugs that nested in your head. It was a sign you're welcome here. I'm gonna take care of you. There is the oil of joy instead of mourning. And there's a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. In those days when people mourned, they'd wear sackcloth. We would call it burlap. Anybody ever worn burlap? I have. It itches. It scratches. It's nasty. Used to hold cow feed or horse feed. I didn't wear it willingly. But when your brother puts you in it and ties it up, you wear it. Instead of that, a garment of praise, people looking at you and saying, it's amazing what God is doing in that person's life. They should be defeated, but they're not. They should be whining about how hard life is, but they're not. They should be held down complaining about oppression, but they're not. And he goes on to say, then they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. I love that phrase, oaks of righteousness. We were at a ball game in Columbia at Segra Park and we, as we came out, I noticed there were these oak trees that somebody had thought to plant decades before. They still stand, they form a row, beautiful oaks. And I'm thinking somebody, somebody did something here. Somebody thought I'm gonna create a place of beauty. And that's important to remember when you remember that area of Columbia was the site of Bull Street, the state mental institution where there was so much unrest and unpeace in people's souls. It was like somebody said, we're gonna create a place of beauty in the midst of all of this unrest. And throughout this series, I've called back to a quote from John Ortberg. To glorify God means to live your life in such a way so that people will say what a good God there must be to make someone like that. People look at us and say, look, I don't know what God is about and I can't figure out all that the Christians talk about, but I see what God has done in that person's life and there must be a good God to make an oak of righteousness like that, to have a planting that displays God's splendor and it's in a person, not in a tree. 
all these broken, grieving people, the poor, broken, prisoners, captives, the mourners, all of them God is healing. That's the prophet's message. And when people are healed, God then says, I've got a purpose for you. Verse four, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. These people, hey, you're gonna be healed by God. You're gonna go back to that ruined land and you've heard about the wreckage and when the other people see the ruins, you're gonna see a new city. Where other people see hopelessness, you're gonna see hope. You're gonna see possibilities because God is going to work through you. You are good news people. Now I told you, this passage is not just about the prophet and his time. It's also a prophecy about someone. And if your Bible is still open, turn over to Luke chapter four. Luke chapter four, verse 16, this is about Jesus. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. See if this sounds familiar. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus read that passage from Isaiah and said, it's me. I'm the one that embodies this passage. Now I want you to just get this scene. Jesus had gone back to his hometown. He's there in the synagogue. They hand him the scroll of Isaiah, Bible trivia time. What's the longest book in the Bible? Some of you, I just heard Psalms over here. That's what you've been taught because it has 150 chapters, but by word count, the longest book in the Bible is Isaiah. And so Jesus goes all the way over to chapter 61. How long did it take him to go there? 66 chapters in Isaiah. That's a lot of scrolling. And he gets there and he reads this. And then he sits down. That's a sign that he's about to teach. Back then they sat down to teach. And by the way, teaching usually would last an hour to two hours. Aren't you glad you live today? Not back then. And he says, I am the fulfillment. I am the one who's going to make this happen. This is my mission from my father to come into this world which is broken, which is ruined, and I am gonna proclaim liberty for the captives, gonna bring sight to the blind, I am gonna heal the broken, I am gonna set the prisoners free, I am going to comfort those who mourn, I am here to open up possibilities for people who've lost all hope. That's the message of Jesus. Can he really do that still? There's a woman I know, went to church as a young girl, fell away in college, like a lot of us do. Then, 
She really wanted to feel significant. So back then, the way you were significant as a woman, you got married, you had kids. But she was also an intellectual, so she developed a career. She was pretty good at it. Then she got divorced. And she felt broken. What she had counted on to make her significant wasn't there. She had tension with her adult kids. Life was not turning out the way she wanted it to. And sort of as a last desperate step, she came to church. And she was an intellectual, she had a lot of questions. After every Sunday, she would stop one of the pastors and ask even more questions. And finally, one of those pastors, I think given a message by the Holy Spirit, said to her, the answers are not what you need. You need to know that God loves you and you are significant to him. And the best way to know that love is to invite Jesus into your life and forgive your sins. And she took that bold step of faith and did that. And change did not happen for her instantaneously. But guess what did happen? God began to heal her heart and bind up her wounds. She found out she was significant, that she mattered to God. She began to find out there were answers to her questions. She began to find a way to serve and to minister. She found a new family in the church. And no, her life isn't perfect and it hasn't all worked out just the way she would have wanted it to. But now she's living with the possibilities of hope. And I think she would tell you this is a lot better than where she was. And if you've never invited Jesus into your life, I plead with you, I urge you, I beg you, take that Next step. You can come and talk to me in the next step room during the last song and you can say, Clay, I, I really, I'm a broken down house. I need Jesus. I would love to talk with you about what that means for you and how you can embrace Jesus as your savior. Now I told you, I told you this this passage in Isaiah was for the prophet and it was a prophecy about Jesus that Jesus said came true. But it's also a word to a group of people and that group of people is us. It's a message to Jesus' church. And it's a reminder that we, we are not the judgmental people. We are not the self-righteous people. We are not the people who exist to be the police of what we think is right and wrong. We are the good news people. We're the Easter people. We're here to proclaim that there is a God. His son is Jesus. He died for our sins. He has come back and he gives us the power to change lives, our life and lives around us because he is the God of possibility. So are you broken? hey, the church is here to bind you up because we're broken too. We know what that's like and we've seen God do some healing. Oh, we're not all the way healed. Some of us, we've just gotten healed enough to limp and others of us, we've gotten healed enough to run but we're here to help you find your path to healing. You feel imprisoned. We're here to tell you that God has a power that can deliver you from addiction, that can bring you hope. Do you feel like you are just trapped in mourning and life is just not good? Hey, we're here to tell you that there's some good news, that there is a God that brings hope. Now, my friends, I fear the church in North America 
America is on the wrong track. We have gotten so good at casting stones of judgment, we've forgotten that that's not our job. Our job is to tell people there's good news. Our job is to tell people there's hope. Oh yes, we tell them the truth, absolutely. But we want people to know that there is a God who loves them and will make a difference in their life. That's our job. But you know what's happening in the evangelical church right now? Hold it, my watch is telling me I've taken a hard fall. I've gotta tell them I'm okay. You know what's happening in the evangelical church right now? In the evangelical church, we are going around and we're trying to find every possible way we disagree with each other. Friends, that's ridiculous. You know why? There are days I don't agree with myself. So how dare I go around and point to you and say, you've got to agree with me because I'm the one that's right. No, no, my friends, the only one that's right is Jesus. Oh, and can I just tell you, we have sold our souls for a mess of political pottage because whether you're on the right or on the left, you keep looking to a politician to bring you possibility and power and hope. And that's not what politicians do. Politicians are there for power and your pocket. Now, if you're a politician, God has possibilities for you too. Okay. I, I think we're majoring on the minors. And, and, and this statistic came across my, my desk this recently. It, it's, it's a statistic about South Carolina Baptist churches. We're part of the South Carolina Baptist Convention. 2,000 churches. In 2012, 2012, just nine or 11 years ago now, uh, we, we baptized 16,983 16, people. That's about eight people for every Baptist church. Ah, roughly, you know. Not great, something. Fast forward nine years, the last year we have good data for, 2021, those same 2,000 South Carolina Baptist churches baptized 7,718 people. Now to do the math real quick for you, that's a difference of 9,000 people. And we live in a state where people are moving to and our population over the next 10 years is expected to grow somewhere between a million and half a million people. It, have we lost sight of the good news? Have we lost sight of our mission? What, what if we actually could look out at America and say, hey, there's some possibilities here. Because the way you change a nation is you change a community. The way you change a community is you change an individual. And the way you change an individual is you help them meet Jesus. Could we see the possibility that if we can be the people of good news, that we could change our community and our nation and our world? See, see this is what our church is all about. We don't do this perfectly. I'll be the first to tell you. I don't do this perfectly. But our goal is to help as many people as possible take their next step toward Jesus Christ. Our focus is on Jesus. He's the one in charge. We want to go in his direction. And that's why we do the things we do. We saw an area in Sumter, 12,000 people, only eight, nine churches there. And so we said we need to start a campus. Pacala Campus was born. 
We looked at Lee County and we said, hey, here is a county, 17,000 people almost, and, and they only have two churches in the whole county that average over 100 people. And we think that there needs to be a church like Alice Thrive there, so we started our Bishopville campus. That's why our Bishopville campus pastor, Sam, he goes to the Lee County Correctional Institute, the maximum security prison in the South Carolina system, the home of death row, and he leads a Bible study every week to tell the prisoners they can be set free in Jesus. And that's why we built a Habitat for Humanity house for Lakeisha Jones. And that's why we finished the homeless shelter for Sumter United Ministries. That's why our student ministry goes into the schools to tell and build, to tell the kids about Jesus and to build relationships so that when a kid has a crisis, they've got somebody to turn to. I tell you folks, we're trying to help people find out there's possibilities. That's our mission. I want to show you another picture. See if you want to live in this house. Anybody want to live there? Now, a couple of you say, no, I don't want to live there because I'd spend my whole time cleaning that house. Hey, but if you can afford to live there, you can afford to hire somebody to clean the house, right? Some of you already are ahead of me. That's the Burris house. It's the same house as the other house. What happened? When the Bolivar County Historical Society gave up on the Burris house and it reverted to the Burris heirs, one of the heirs, Dr. E.H. Wynn, realized that this was his family's heritage. And he decided that the house would not cave in on his watch. And so, he started a foundation called the Burris House Foundation, not a foundation under the building, but a place to receive money. He sent his daughter to supervise the restoration and rebuilding of the house. Because of one man who saw a possibility where other people saw a ruin, the house now looks like this. It's a place for family reunions. It is the top wedding venue in Cleveland, Mississippi. Not that there are that many wedding venues in Cleveland, Mississippi, but still. One man had a vision for what could be. W would you be that one person that could get a vision for what God can do. And, and do I really need to connect the dots for you? That God looked down on the wreckage of this world and said, it is a wreck, but I'm not giving up. I see possibilities. I'm gonna pay for it to be rebuilt. I will send my son, my one and only son, to pay the price for this world to be rebuilt. And that will be good news. It will be hope for the poor who see no possibilities. It will be 
telling the captives that they're set free. It will be the binding of the broken. It will be telling the prisoners, get out of jail. You don't have to be held captive anymore. It will be a time for those who mourn to find out that there is comfort and there is hope and there is possibility. It will be for you and for me and for this nation and for this world to find out, my friends, there is good news and his name is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a good God you are, that you see what's wrecked and you see possibilities. Thank you for Jesus coming to rebuild us, to shape us, to make us who you meant us to be. And I pray for everyone who hears this message who doesn't know Jesus, that today they would give their life to Jesus and find out what a good God you are. Help us to share this good news. Keep our eyes on Jesus. Make us a church that is just a place where people look and say, what a good God there must be for God to take a bunch of people like that and do amazing things. God, make us that church that can change the world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, Alice Drive. Thank you guys for watching this service, but don't stop here. Follow us on social media, on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Also, if you've missed any of our sermons, you can check them all out on our website or YouTube page. It is because of you that we are able to help people take their next steps towards Jesus. And thank you all for being a giving church. God bless y'all, and we'll see you next week.